0: I mean, I, you know, like you, I've always tried to dress to that my costume, my uniform would be a little different than than everyone else's. Um, like when I was running with the punk kids in in high school, like I never did the chain wallet. You know, that was I was not going to do that because yeah, that's what everyone else did. What I did instead is I wore fingerless gloves
1: and a and a like a fisherman's vest. You so you were so the thing about it is what I think is funny when you tell me these stories is that. You really, really wanted to be Judd Nelson in The Breakfast Club. <laughs> and I actually was. <laughs> I'm Don Hall. And I'm David Himmel. And this is the Literate Apecast. The Literate ape guy uses bad words. If we don't like bad words, maybe then listen to it.
0: <laughs> so you asked me a question
1: the other day: What costumes do I wear during the week, and what am I project about myself? Well, before we get in, I mean, yeah, yeah. The reason I asked the question is, and I wrote a subject. I read, I read that in our Senate. With all the bullshit going on, uh, Donald Trump being indicted, you know, a former president and all the investigations and the Hunter Biden shit. And, well, then you've got the economy and you've got, you know, all the shit Congress has to do. Their big issue last week was that John Fetterman, the senator from Pennsylvania, showed up to work in short sleeves. God, I, you know, we are
0: super busy at work right now and it's only going to get busier and i can Im- only imagine that if i walked in during with a lot of shit to do and i went into the snack cabinet and said Hmm, who ate all the sea salt caramel ghirardelli squares they would look at me like you're missing the point. Get the fuck out of here.
1: Yeah, go do your job. Go do your job. Yeah, yeah. And so what I thought was very interesting was uh, I thought about Fetterman and, like, what they're asking him to do. And and when you look at John Fetterman, he looks like a fucking bouncer in a titty bar. So yeah. putting, putting him in a suit is like putting a fucking gorilla in a goddamn Brooks brother and expecting that that somehow projects the image that, number one, got him elected, and number two, it, it functions for him. So I got thinking about what costumes, you know, what 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 do we wear and and what it, what are we trying to say about ourselves. When, I mean, cuz obviously when he shows up at work in cargo shorts and fucking short sleeve shirt or a, or a parka or a fucking pullover or whatever, yeah. He he that's that's number 1. That's very that's a big part of why he got elected because he didn't look like a fucking stiff suit. Yeah. You know, and, but that's his projection. You know, it's not like he's incapable of wearing a suit on the other hand, you know, it's, is Mitch McConnell wearing a suit, make him somehow more respectable. Well, uh, you know, that's, that's the thing. Let's, let's ask him and see what he thinks. Yeah. (laughs) Stroke, (laughs) Um, you know, and, you know, and then you think about, okay, so, you know, you've got like, uh, you've got. Oh, what? What's her name? What's her name? Elizabeth Holmes. You know the 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 grifter, Gutheranos. Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the thing is. Elizabeth it, Holmes and it, this is CNN. Yeah, but when she when she would show up for interviews, I mean, er, early on before they busted her, she would yeah. wear like a doctor's jacket, and that and on the doctor's coat, yeah, yeah, and that doctor's coat suddenly gave her some sense of medical credibility where she had none in reality. Dude.
0: That's a movie trope that has worked time and time again. So, you take so, it to a place, you grab a white
1: lab coat yeah. and be like, oh, doctor. So my so my question, I guess my yeah. question is, is like, I, I was thinking about it last week, is what costumes, okay, so what do you wear when you go to work? What, what, What is your costume? Because it is a costume, whether we like to say it or not. Well, when I first read it, my I, I mistook Project for
0: Protect. Ah. Because... <laughs> I think it's completely Freudian like where I'm at in my life or maybe just who I am. My projection is all about protection. You know, it's not for who it's not where I'm at my life right now. It's who I've always been, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm loud in class. I'm the funny clown, you know, whatever to protect people from not realizing how bad I am at math. Or, or you know, it's, so it's this projection in an effort to protect. Um, That's fair. That's fair. But my mom used to say, you know, the whole like clothes make a man thing. Like if you, if you wear, you put something on, you'll feel like what you're wearing. So like when I was unemployed, when I first moved to Chicago, I would get up every day and I would get dressed and I would throw a tie on or a sweater. Like I would, like I was going somewhere to a job that i had to look you know business cash because it just put me in the mindset because otherwise if i just got up and threw on like shorts and a t-shirt i would just be like well i'm just gonna drink beer all day and suck back scotch to chase the beer down and which you know i did anyway but it just it it took me longer the day to get there um but right now so i i think that there is something about wearing the clothes like we we all have to be purposefully whether it's you know at the front of our consciousness or a little bit behind making a choice to project something when we put on clothes yeah yeah you know like i mean you had your uh you had your casino uniform, you know,
1: yeah, as as, yeah, like, yeah. clothes and jeans and, and you went tie and, and vest. Fuck yeah, you know, I went with a tie down. and vest. And even, even in 117 degree yeah. weather, I'm out wearing all black, uh, you know, and I got some really cool ties. I got a Marvel tie and I got a Yoda tie. You know, I got some ties that were pretty fun. Then I had my vest that I bought. And it, that was sort of my, my uniform. That was my yeah. way of saying I'm a manager. And I somehow am a part. When I was at NPR, when I was WBZ, everybody wore business casual and I intentionally wore like what I would call my Henry Rollins outfit, which was a Mm -hmm. pair of black boots, blue jeans and a black t-shirt all the time. And for a long time, I used to wear a ball cap all the Mm -hmm. time. And at one point, I mean, I wore a ball cap everywhere, you know, and I know why I wore a ball cap because I started wearing a ball cap in college. Because at one point as a dare, I shaved my head and yeah. it turns out that unlike, you know, Lex Luthor or uh, Bruce Willis, I do not have a nice, perfectly shaped round egg head. I have a lumpy fucking freak show head. Yeah. And so I had to wear a fucking ball cap. Otherwise, people would think I was like, uh, you know, hey, I'll give you 25 cents, flipper boy. So I, you know, it's like, you know, I. <laughs> You know, I, so I wore a ball cap. Well, when I was at WBZ, I full head of hair, but I wore my ball cap all the time. And one day after like a year and a half, I, I showed up without a ball cap and it freaked people out yeah. because they didn't realize I even fucking had hair. Yeah. So the idea of me showing up with hair really changed a second part of my sort of kind of uniform and how we, you know, perception is reality kind of thing. Yeah. Is the difference between when it, prior, you know, around WBZ time, you know, I was, I was pushing 265 pounds yeah. and then I lost like 80 pounds over the course of two years. And the difference, the way people treated me hmm. when I wasn't a big fat boy was so remarkably different. I mean, it was, it was notable and not in a, Hey, here's a hot barista at Starbucks that wants to, you know, look you up and down. It was literally like people were just nicer to me. Um, And so yeah, that, that is my question about the costumes is what, what are the costumes? So you go to work, what do you wear? Where, where do you, what do you wear as the creative director of Austin powers? What what do you wear? I wear a lot of black.
0: So you're doing, I, you're doing the bad boy. I, you're, you're, you're showing I, up. I'm doing bad boy. Yeah. I, well, I mean, there's also, there was this funny thing said when I was interviewing for the job uh, where the person interviewing me was said, I don't know how it came up, but she was like, yeah, everybody just, everybody wears black hair. You know, so this is kind of like a, oh, okay. But I was already on a journey, a journey, a journey of leaning more and more into like the darker, quote unquote, bad boy, <laughs> bad boy uniform. Um, and, you know, and it's also like, it's, is it, it's a bad boy uniform. It's also like high school theater tech dork.
1: Yeah. Uniform. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: i oh yeah (laughs) i I totally and i remember seeing those kids in high school thinking god why are they wearing all black they're such dorks and then i was like oh because they're behind the stage and you wear black when you of course i wear mostly black when i'm on site at a show because you want to blend in you don't want to be seen um but even when i want to be seen or heard there's still a lot of there's a lot of
1: black in my uh Um, blacks
0: and grays and darker colors.
1: Oh, it's my favorite color. I have, I have, I have, you know, and, and it's what, it's very interesting. like we did mom and I, okay. The two times at the Cedric County zoo, the first time was the chimps and salsa event. That was just a fucking clusterfuck. Um, but I, you know, as I'm, I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm running the show. turns out I wasn't running the show, which is part of why it was a clusterfuck. But of course, (laughs) I wore black uh, boots. I wore black cargo pants because I had yeah. lots of pockets. I wore a black t-shirt and I wore a black, you know, like a button down shirt. Well, the problem was it was 95 degrees, which I'm used to that when I was, didn't I wore black all black when I did millennium park and when I was yeah. a fucking casino manager. But um, the other part of it was that all of the security guards at the zoo yeah, dressed exactly like that. And <laughs> so instead of me being a point, people kept mistaking me for security, which was very interesting. The second time, we go to – my take my mom to Zubilee, which is this great big – it's not that different, but there's a lot of food vendors and some free booze and all this kind of stuff. They got free tickets, which went for 175 bucks a piece. Nice. And, you know, it's a big fundraiser. And so, I take my mom. Mom says – and it's still hot, but mom's like, I bought a dress. So, she bought a dress for the occasion. So, of course – I'm going to put on a tie and a vest. Well, most of my shit's black anyway, but she wore a gold, like her, her, her dress was sort of like yellowish gold. So I wore a yellowish gold tie, but I'm basically all in black, but dressed up and all mom could talk about. I didn't really notice it, but she goes, oh boy, the women are looking you over. And I was like, I don't even, I wasn't even like, that's not what I was focused yeah. on, but apparently mom noticed that the, the 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 ladies at the Zubilee were checking me out. And if I'd just been wearing regular clothes, I guarantee you they wouldn't even thought twice to look at me. But the fact that I had a tie on and a vest and I was dressed up. Yeah you know and so yeah that that whole concept of what costume you wear is is kind of in my brain. Yeah I don't know if if I'm Because, like, I'm not a
0: bad boy. I mean, I'm a bad person sometimes, um, and I have, like, bad boy tendencies and desires, but I, I wouldn't call myself a
1: bad boy. See, I actually don't think you're a bad boy. I think you have bro tendencies, but you you try to reject this i'm sorry going out and drinking all night and fucking dancing until your pants split and uh you know that's all fucking frat boy shit you know it is you you but the thing is you for the same reason that you don't like to pretend that you have lots of money which you have access to lots of money um, because it makes you feel bad about yourself you reject that trope so i think you like to dress like a bad boy and <laughs> but well but you reject the bad boy thing you kind of have the hunter s thompson i'm that fucking gonzo journalist except you know i i have a respectable job and i mean i used to be the guy i have a house thing. and i have two kids and a couple of dogs and yeah i can't really be the bad boy so i think when you dress as a bad boy it's sort of your your lifelong uh, nostalgia of what it was like when you were young and free i mean i'm certainly doing the best i can to avoid you
0: know the the dad look you know like i cringe at the thought of uh what are those fucking th- uh dress shoes that feel like a sneaker. Ugh. Those things look you when you put those on you look like you're 50 years old with kids about to get into a high school. Like there's just a lame give up. like I'm sorry but suffer through the uncomfortable dress shoes for a couple hours. Like why?
1: No, 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 back up, back up because it's, it's, dude, dude, you make this and you, and in in so many phrases you have just slapped me around um, maybe I slapped you around by oh. calling you a bro-, a bro and a frat boy, but eh. the thing is you say 50, like it's old. No. And I- and I'm 57. So I'm way older than that. Number two, um, my favorite shoes are slip on shoes. Now, granted I have boots that slip on and I have tennis shoes that are slip on with fake uh, laces because they're just slip-ons dude if i can eviscerate all concept of laces on anything i will do so
0: i'm with you there i've got you know laceless vans i've got slip-on vans
1: i've got uh, sketchers yeah
0: shoes yeah like sketchers though those look like laces, i don't
1: care like see the thing shoes. is i don't i don't i guess that's the thing It's one of the things that i and i'll go back to my unfortunately uh you know And maybe this will be the way for it is for at least another couple of years where I just keep referencing my third marriage. But one of the things that she really had a hard time was, and she disavowed me of it, she broke me of it, was I used to wear white tennis shoes. I loved white tennis shoes. I had tons of white tennis shoes. And she was just like, those are old man shoes. Old man, you're wearing your old man shoes. And so I stopped wearing white tennis shoes. Now I wear black tennis shoes, but now black tennis shoes. Uh, at least the ones that are comfortable. Uh, oh, you're an old man. Those are old men. Fuck off. You know what? I am an old man. I embrace it. I don't give a fuck. You know, and I am. I am emotionally forty years old. I am physically fifty years old, and I'm chronologically fifty seven years old. And you know what? One of the best parts about being that age? I don't give a fuck. I don't yeah. care what I look like. I mean, I yes, I still wear my version of whatever costume is, but. You know, I I don't think twice about wearing cargo shorts everywhere. You know, I love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're fucking comfortable and they're functional. And that's as an true. old man, that's what I want. I mean, I, you know, like you, I've always tried to dress
0: to that my costume. My uniform would be a little different than than everyone else's. Um, like when I was running with the punk kids in, in high school, like I never did the chain wallet. You know, that was, I was not going to do that because that's what everyone else did. What I did instead is I wore fingerless gloves and a, and a, like a fisherman's
1: vest. You so you were so, the thing about it is what I think is funny when you tell me these stories is that you really, really wanted to be Judd Nelson in the breakfast club. (laughs) And I actually was. Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, I was, yeah, I was definitely more. The Anthony
0: Anthony Michael Hall, yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> like trying, stuff. you
1: know, you know, and that's why I say,
0: costume. but I was cooler. But yeah, I think that, yeah, you know, then for a while, like I was, I, don't know, I wore a lot of blue. I mean, I still love the color blue, and I, yeah,
1: love, it's my I favorite mean, color, yeah. But
0: I, I developed kind of a, um, not a beach bum, but a like ready to be a beach bum, like any moment. Oh, there's t- t- tickets to Key West. I'm ready. All I got to do is change my shoes out for boat shoes and flip-flops or whatever you know like just kick the converse away and put on flip-flops done because i had the shirt ready to go all the buttons were open you know like i was set Um, and that's given way to more of the the black bad boy thing and yeah that started i think it started when i was it was after the breakup with brie when i just was like embracing more of my darker nature of um because I hated the world she lived in and that I ran with, you know, for those three years, which was really corporate, you know, Big Ten University, Lincoln Park. Like the Frat Boy. The Frat Boy, the frat boy and, yeah, yeah, Frat Boy broke and, shit, yeah. And I I mean, yeah, man, I can hold my own for sure with that crowd. But you reject that crowd. As, I because that you talk about this. Aesthetically, aesthetically was, it bothers was, you. Was I a uh, a greaser, right? Yeah. Like that's right? So she's in, is that what it was? So she's and greasers. And greasers. Yeah. 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 Like I could totally run with the socias, but I related more emotionally to the greasers.
1: Yeah. And my, you know? jam, and my jam has always been, and I, and I catch this uh, once in a while. Somebody pointed this out to me not too long ago that I was like, Oh, I didn't really thought about it that much. I mean, I guess it's true is that my discourse, not, not necessarily what I wear, but my discourse is I'm very, very well read. Um, I read lots of stuff. I, you know, I'm not going to say I'm intelligent necessarily, but I, I, I have, I very well read, but my discourse makes me sound like I'm 14 and uh, angry, (laughs) you know? And so it's like, I intentionally, I want to be the guy that can actually quote Kierkegaard, but also say, And something about my balls, you know, it's just, that's sort of the projection. And it's funny because I kind of shied away from that for a while. And now, now that I'm post third divorce and kind of getting into, uh, I'm just kind of getting into my own again. I'm trying to go, all right. So, you know, what, what do I want to project when I come back to Chicago? Cause I know that's what I'm going to do. And it is, it is definitely, I'm a fucking asshole. Yeah. You know what Karl Marx said. You know, I mean, it's just—it's just a very funny thing. And so, how, what does that look like when you dress it? What's the uniform look for that guy? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Um.
0: I guess it's what you wear. <laughs> it's whatever yeah, you're wearing. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's yeah. It's kind of whatever you're getting I'm wearing. The shower, it's the, it's your underpants, you know, yeah. you're getting out of the shower. It's the towel you're about to wrap. Wait a minute. That's you
1: wear, it. you wear underpants in the shower. No, as you're getting into the shower, like you kick them off, like right before you get in the shower. Oh, okay. see, you know what I, what I, what I wear, I don't <laughs> what I wear around the house after I'm done. And this is actually, this is a carryover from, uh, But with Dana, but I, I love it is, and I think I've told you, you know, that, that the last time I was in Chicago, I had to, and I don't, I'm not a thief. I don't, I don't do the thieving thing. Never really been my, my thing, but I stole a pair of, uh, spa shorts from King spa. Mm Mm-hmm. And they yeah. are my favorite fucking shorts. And in any given night, when I'm here in my apartment by myself, there's a very good chance that I'm wearing a pair of Ugg slippers, uh, <laughs> my, my, my King Spa shorts and a t-shirt. And, uh, it, it, they're most comfortable fucking thing in the whole world. I also have my, what I call my Tony Soprano robe that sometimes, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, the Tony Soprano robe with the Ugg slippers. If there was a newspaper or ducks outside that, that. <laughs> be perfectly appropriate slippers are the greatest things man i fucking love, I them. love yeah right you know and that's an old
0: man thing that's not a kid thing i don't know there's i have video evidence of it's got to be 1989 88 89 christmas where i open it up open up the gift it's a pair of black slippers and i react like i just opened a nintendo NES system. Like Just so thrilled down, I'm so thrilled. That's the kind of mm. shit that I do as a kid. Was like G.I. Joe's, Nintendo, baseball,
1: and slippers. There you go. Yeah, in college I did a lot of uh you're talking about that sort of like that that you know here my board shorts kind of thing. Yeah. Uh when I was in the University of Arkansas marching band, my to go uh uniform was a pair of uh like big long like knee long shorts uh red vans or checkered vans either one and Mm -hmm. uh and i had at least 10 hawaiian shirts that was my that was my thing so i guess i've always had some sort of a uniform i don't always know what i'm trying to project or for that matter protect but Mm -hmm. uh i I always kind of have some sort of a, a uniform and uh you trust just think, for
0: the occasion. I mean, ultimately well, it, you trust it's been for the inter- occasion.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to look at people and say, okay, this is what they, this is what they're wearing. I mean, we could get into. I don't think we have time, but we can get into a whole conversation that I think much of culture is really just a uniform. Yeah. It's just a costume, you know. Um, in its own oh, performative yeah. way, you know, and that, you know, it's like, but, but, you know, it's like, what are you trying to tell me about you so that when I see you, because we all judge a book by its cover, what is your cover trying to communicate t- to me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um,
0: yeah, I, I, again, I think it's, we dress for the occasion. It's, you know, are we, what do we want our, the, the, the person we're going on a first date with to think about us. Like, do we want to go bad boy? Do we want to go like, what band t-shirt do we wear? What do you know? Would we wear our Paris review
1: t-shirt? Do I want people to know that, Oh, he reads Paris review, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, yeah exactly. Well, you know, it's interesting. I stopped wearing, cause I used to wear band t-shirts all the time. I mean, constantly yeah. that was, that was my thing. And so, and I don't even remember when this changed, but at some point I decided I just didn't want to wear shirts with logos on them. With stuff, yeah. So all of my t-shirts are are logo There's nothing on them. They're just t-shirts and I like them that way. And when someone you, gives me, I even like I I have some really cool a couple of really cool like, oh, here's a t-shirt but it's got a logo on it and they sit in the drawer. I don't want to throw them away because they're like, oh, I'm, those are still pretty cool t-shirts, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to fucking wear them in public because I don't want to I'm not advertising. I'm not advertising for that. So it's for, yeah. Say- I mean, what does it say? Like, I, the yeah. other day, I wore a white
0: T-shirt with a the Israeli Bazooka Joe logo on it that I bought when I was in Israel because that was the gum that we ate during Passover, and sure. I was like, "Oh my god, I love this fucking gum!" And I was wearing it the other day. Um, I don't. I don't think I was trying to make a statement or was considering really the occasion you know that i was dressing for but i will say when i went to wendy's for lunch because i did as noted in my post-it notes that i was craving wendy's uh the woman behind the counter was like oh i love bazooka gum and i was like yeah conversation starter i'm glad i chose to wear this shirt today but yeah i don't know it's uh I think what I'm trying to project is uh, it changes with what I'm wearing. It's dressing for the occasion.
1: Yeah, I think. Well, I think when I come back to Chicago, um, the two things that I'm going to add to my uh, costume repertoire <laughs> is uh, is dreadlocks and a sombrero.
0: Mm.
1: And now, Warsack sack of the news.
0: Your first headline this week, in, well, they're all crooks, Senator Bob Menendez and wife indicted on bribery charges. DOJ seizes gold bars and $500,000.
1: I mean, the thing I, my reaction to that is, if you're going to do, if you're, if you're going to be a corrupt politician, gold bars is some, like, bond villain shit that i really appreciate <laughs> i mean I, the thing about it is like it's like the cobra commander type shit yeah i, I mean and 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 uh, as much i mean you know you're right they're all crooks i get that but if you're gonna be a crook have a little fucking style and gold bars is fucking like that's like adolf Hitler kind of like i'm gonna i'm gonna the world's gonna end and i'm gonna have gold bars it's like I love that. I appreciate the gold bars. My hat goes off to them. I'm, gl- I'm glad they got caught. But, you know.
0: What's, what I found funny about this headline is it took me, well, it, it didn't take me long. It just, it because it's in the opening. So this is a CNN, this particular headline is a CNN article. Senator Bob Menendez and wife indicted on bribery charges. And my first thought was, oh, well, he's Republican. Wait, is he Republican? That's not fair, David. And so I opened the story and this, you know, this of course was like all a thought within like a split second as I'm opening the story, New Jersey, democratic Senator Bob oh, and yeah. I just, I couldn't help but wonder, I don't know, like if CNN didn't put democratic Senator in the headline on purpose, or if I'm just overthinking it because we've so lately only heard of Republican senators being problematic, Yeah, you know, except for uh John Fetterman who won't wear a suit you know that's like going back to what my mom would say is like you know you dress for the or you know dress for the job you want not the job you have and like you know if you dress the part kind of thing like it's not like Fetterman ever put on airs you know like no so he is When he puts on a suit, he is then Superman putting on the Clark Kent outfit.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, if Fetterman ever gets, you know, like, oh, Senator, Democratic Senator John Fetterman uh, arrested for bribery charges, he's not going to have gold bars. He's going to have, like, giant Subway sandwiches. That he's handing out to the poor and the unhoused. Exactly. Yeah. All right.
0: In... Time heals all windows. <laughs> Nathanel, 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 Nathan, <laughs> Nathanel, Nathanel. National Cathedral unveils racial justice-themed windows, replacing Confederate
1: ones. I, okay. I mean, I'm I'm glad they're getting rid of... I mean, we're like the Confederate windows, like... Like, you know, here's, here's a slave owner whipping a uh, slave pulling it up. What it looks yeah. Like. I mean, it's like, it's because I, I, I'm fine getting rid of oh. Confederate windows. Like if they're, if they're very, very obviously like, oh, well, this is a pro-slavery kind of thing from the Confederacy. But I'm also curious what a racial justice stained glass window looks like.
0: Well, okay. So what they took down was, um, There was a Confederate battle flag in this one last year showing a Confederate soldier like in front of a camp with the battle flag above him. Okay, that's, yeah, get rid of it. Robert E. Lee on his knees,
1: and there's the word. Totally time to get, yeah, totally time to get rid of that. Stonewall Jackson doing something. Yeah, yeah, got to get rid of that. Okay, Okay. all right, I get that. I understand that. I think that makes sense. They've replaced it with marches
0: holding signs. It says fairness. Is one sign and another sign just says not
1: <laughs> hmm.
0: so i yeah i mean okay
1: okay i i you know I mean it's their church, not my church I don't give a name heals all all windows no well so. the, the thing is it doesn't heal anything uh, and, and I understand just, i understand let's let's lean in let's lean into you know the 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 wrongs of the past that actually doesn't heal anything, but it definitely provides light to the injustice of the past, but focusing on the injustice of the past right now, all the time will ultimately not equalize things out. It doesn't really heal anything. It just picks at a scab that we just tried to ignore for a long time. Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, Another story of, uh, in the ever-growing, here's how you succeed at being unethical, <laughs> Clarence Thomas secretly participated in Coke Network donor events.
1: You know, I, at this point, I, I, no, no, I don't care. I mean, the thing about it is, the, the SCOTUS is such a sideshow. The, the 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 Congress and the Senate, it's all such fucking WWE Raw bullshit that I can't <laughs> take it very seriously anymore. Which is probably, you know, the sort of like the Donald Trumpism. The more shit you throw at me, eventually I just get tired of it and I just ignore it. So maybe Clarence Thomas, I mean, Clarence Thomas was a, a shitbag from the day he was confirmed. Yep. So why would it surprise anybody that he's it's a not, shit bag now?
0: I mean, it it's not surprising at this point. What's it's almost like ProPublica has like every two weeks. They've yeah. got a new revelation. What's great about this particular story? This is in ProPublica. ProPublica. Yeah, God, I read it with the the picture. Oh, <laughs> is of, so you got you got you got Clarence Thomas at the Bohemian Grove, which is a secretive all men's retreat,
1: which is also really just. It's really. It's just not a good look. It's not a good yeah. look, my friend. But he's with billionaire David Koch, yeah. and in between them is.
0: The beloved Ken Burns, (laughs) which we know, like, the Koch brothers... He's like, yeah. The Koch brothers fund a lot of PBS. Oh, yeah. A lot. So, Burns has benefited from the Koch brothers' money. And, like, okay, fine. Like, do Koch brothers want to give money to PBS? I'm all for it. Like, I think that's them using their money for good. Because PBS, I don't feel, is pushing right-wing agendas, you know? So... Okay. But like a filmmaker should be there to get all the money they can from
1: all the assholes they
0: can. The fucking a Supreme, I, Court a Justice.
1: Supreme Court Justice really Justice. should. I, and I, the thing is, I don't think Supreme Court Justices should be monastic. It's not like they have to take a vow of poverty. Um, on the other hand, you know. You gotta mind the optics, man. but The thing is, it's just like go with gold bars. Gold bars don't have names on them. And avoid and avoid fundraising events. Yeah, yeah. Don't gold don't get your get your gold bars. Hide them in your closet and don't get pictures taken. Come on, there's a way. In, go
0: ahead, kick your own ass. <laughs> <laughs> neo Nazi club, neo Nazi fight clubs are growing rapidly. New research shows. A new report shared with Vice News outlines the massive growth so-called active clubs, neo-Nazi fitness and fight clubs have experienced in both the United States and oh, Yay internationally. You
1: know. <laughs> I, a everybody got fight club wrong. Everybody that anybody that thinks fight club is, is a glorification of that specific that specific violence really really missed the point yeah number two i hope the neo-nazis beat the shit out of each other um you know it does unfortunately train them to be punched and given that you know we we've kind of you know we've embraced punching a nazi Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know maybe it's just a matter of self-defense that they're just learning it's not so much that they're learning how to punch they're learning how to get punched (laughs) and that's what we want to do. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that's necessarily a bad thing don't invite me. Right? You know, I mean, I don't I don't want to go. I mean, unless unless, let's be honest, unless there's schnitzel. Then invite me cuz I'll have some schnitzel. In well,
0: if Kamala Harris is on it, it must be real important to the Biden administration. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Poor Kamala. Poor White fucking, House. Oh, I feel so you know. bad for her. God damn. What a thankless bunch of shit, she, man. She should have been a Supreme
0: Court justice. No shit. I mean, how bad. Stay being a senator and do the good work there. White House creates Office for Gun Violence Prevention. President Biden. And Veep Kamala Harris on Friday announced the creation of the White House Office of Gun Violence Prevention, saying the steps his administration is taking will save lives. The office, which Harris will oversee. uh...
1: (laughs) See, I have this image. I have this image and you've seen Office Space. Yeah. Stephen Root. Yeah. Yeah, they stick him in the basement and he and, and they take his red his his red his red swing line swing, swing line stapler. I yeah. have this image of Kamala Harris kind of walking around the West Wing going, Hey, 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 have you seen my stapler? I mean, that's exactly what it feels like. It's like she, the, and this office of gun violence, it's like, it's, it's like a broom closet at, in the basement yeah. of, of like a wing oh. nobody sees. Yeah. Yeah. It's they stopped, they stopped paying her weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. She's, I mean, she's literally Steven Root in that fucking movie. And it makes me sad. And then people wonder why, when she gets up there, I mean, here's the thing I think is the funniest is like Biden gets up there and once in a while it goes, goes a little rambly. You know, he gets a little, he gets a little rambly and says some shit that doesn't make any fucking sense. Everybody goes, which has always been his thing. He's so Yeah. He's always done that. He's done that when he was a young man, but now it's, he's so old now, but Kamala Harris does it. And I think it's because she's just been stuck in a fucking closet and she doesn't have anybody to talk to her. Staff is all gone. And so when they do let her out to actually have a conversation with reporters, she's not socialized. She's. She forgot how to speak to people. So she goes, "Have a AI? It just, it just, it's artificial intelligence. It's a thing. It's no, machine learning. She just lost her ability to communicate, which is really terrible because she was a great prosecutor. It is, it is sad. I mean, cause wasn't
0: she going to fix like the border issue? And there was like some other thing that she was going to do. And then they that do- didn't happen.
1: And I just, I feel. They have dumped on her in such a bad way. And and the thing is, I don't want to be, like, stereotypical, but isn't that kind of what we always do to black women? Yeah, because
0: uh, not not that we should, but you know what? Black no. women have showed us that, like, if you need some shit taken care of... you got to get pissed a off. black woman is going to fucking do it.
1: Well, no, the thing is, it, I, I back it up. You know, there's that trope of the angry black woman, but the reality is our society and i don't even think it's our society i think it's the planet because if you pretty much yeah. everybody everybody including you know the, the africans look at black women as sort of like you know, and the only way they can actually get anything, like really just they can move there ne- is if they're the angry black woman. And the problem is, if Kamala Harris came out and was fucking pissed and you were kind, you were just a little bit of afraid that she was going to like trash your 7 Eleven counter, she'd probably be a more effective seven, a more effective vice president.
0: I mean, I'd be more afraid of, uh, you know, just getting smacked but yeah. i don't i don't think that it's it's weird with kamala because she seems so competent in like one or two really specific ways and that is prosecuting and that is using that prosecute prosecutorial skill in legislation yeah oh, she was great she is not a great campaigner no she is not a great you know cheerleader
1: um she would be. Things, uh, she would be if she accessed the Stacey Abrams "I'm going to report you to HR" thing. <laughs> Where's Stacey Abrams these days? I, I, I like her. I, li- I I did like her. Um, I think she did. She was. She did a cameo on Star Trek and is done. Why did she do that? I don't fucking know. What do you mean she did a cameo on Star Trek? Why? She was. A, she was on a camp. She was. She played a cameo role. In Star Trek Discovery, yeah, was it a was it a joke? No, no, she was playing like she was playing like the president of something big. You know, she was like a big, uh, so yeah, she got yeah, to be president. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like you okay. know, you know, and 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 unlike unlike uh, Donald Trump, when she says that her election was stolen, apparently that's legit. Oh, okay, all right.
0: In My best years are right now, the former president said. I haven't had to wipe my own ass since 2015. (laughs) The once leader of the free world then... (laughs) The the once leader of the free world then defecated himself and smiled as his hospice nurse ran to him, sponge in hand. Former President Jimmy Carter makes an appearance at Georgia Festival days before his 99th birthday.
1: There you go. I love Jimmy Carter. The fact that he's 99, I hope he lives to be 190. I mean, he's just... Jimmy Carter is the only president. I mean, he was a terrible, terrible president. But the reason he was a terrible president is he's probably, at least in my lifetime, the only, only truly honest human being to have held the office. You know, I mean, he was he was a bad politician because he was not dirty. You know, he wasn't a dirty fucking dude. He was a genuinely altruistic optimistic uh generous compromising man and he got fucked for it yeah oh uh, jimmy love me some jimmy and now an extraneous quote of the week to ponder as you consider life's most pressing sources The quote of the week is actually uh, one of my tattoos. It is one of my favorite quotes. It is from uh, a Chuck Palahniuk novel called Lullaby Club. Yeah. Speaking of Fight Club, uh, it just turns out uh, from Lullaby, every breath is a choice. And the reason I mm-hmm. like the quote is that we 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 have too many and and, and, and you know it, it really isn't so much a reflection on how I feel about the world, but about how about I feel about myself is that it's really easy uh, to make excuses for either things. It's it's easy to make excuses for things going wrong in your life. It's easy to take credit for things going right in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I I really reject. Is the idea that it is either destiny or systemic, whatever, or it's, we make choices. And I love this quote because it says that everything, when you wake up in the morning and you decide not to like recognize that life is a series of disappointments that ends in tragedy and you still get up and and say, I'm going to take a breath. You're making choices. Every breath is a choice. Love it. I agree. Um, and
0: I'm, uh, I agree. It's very apropos. Um, as of late, cause I'm seeing some things in Harry. Uh, like a lot of the conversation we've had with, with Harry is like, you got to make better choices, buddy. Like I, he'll say like, daddy, you're being mean. Cause I'm, you know, giving him a consequence for kicking, k- kicking me again or, you know, whatever it is. Right. um, and you're being mean, Harry, I don't make a choice till you do. You know, like you got to, you got to pause and think, and make better choices. You know that kicking when we're wrestling, kicking isn't okay. You have control of your body. You have to make the choice whether to control your leg to kick me or not. You know, I mean, this is basically what we're doing. And I was talking to him actually this morning. Um, Did, did I tell you that he got in trouble the other day at school for <laughs> for, for <pee. laughs> it's not funny it's funny <clears throat> he got in trouble for peeing in the bushes on the playground at school he and his buddy went and peed and i said okay well harry like why did you pee in the bushes could you not hold it are you not allowed to go inside to go pee and he was like no we just did it and i was like oh were you trying to be funny he's like i don't know we just kind of did it like okay, I like I get it. You just do, you know, like hey, let's pee in the bushes, ha ha ha, whatever. And I told him about a time that if, when I was in fifth grade, we were in the we used to like sneak out of class and go to the the public bathroom because like we had like it was like a suite like two classrooms like shared a bathroom, but there was the public bathroom that had the stalls and everything. So my friends and I would go in there and we would like climb on the doors and swing on the doors and shit, and. So that was one bad thing we were doing that we weren't supposed to do, but Darren Griffin dared me to pee in the sink,
1: and of course I did of course you did because you can't help but do taking a dare you have to, you have to show them that you can take a dare. you are marty McFly, uh-huh, yeah,
0: and then Darren Griffin, the darer, fucking told on me. <laughs> So, of course, my parents got called. I had to go and tell the custodian, this guy, Dale, that I peed in the sink and needed to clean it up. And he's like, what the hell's wrong with you? I remember him saying, what the hell is wrong with you? And I cleaned the sink, and he's standing there watching me doing it, just like, what the fuck, kid? The principal yelled at me. I got home, and my dad, um, my mom was mad. My dad was like why did you pee in the sink? Like, did you just, you couldn't make it to the urinal? Like what was going on? Basically the same thing that I was asking Harry. Yeah. Yeah. And I was asking him this because like, this was a moment after I had this conversation with Harry, I realized something, which I'll get to in a second. But my dad was like really cool about it. He was like, look, man, you can't do that. You know, like there was a time when I was, this is again, my dad talking when I was at summer camp and I was in the infirmary sick one night I woke up and I had to pee and I couldn't find the bathroom. So I peed like in the sink. But, like, I had to go, and I didn't know where else to go. So this is, like, a generational thing, apparently, just, like, peeing where you're not supposed no, to.
1: That, well, no, and I, I, well, I also but, want you do me a favor. I would like you, and I know you won't do this, but I want you to tell Harry that uh, his Uncle Don, um, routinely, he's in bushes outside. Routinely. Well, yeah. I Because I'm a grown man, and if I I have a, I got. Literally, this happened, oh my God, was this on the, I can't remember, it was on a road trip, it was either, I was going to Utah to see uh, Brandon Bruce, or I was taking Eric Wilson to his dad in Denver, I can't remember the road trip, no, it wasn't, I was by myself, so I can't remember, maybe it was one of the many trips to and from vegas whatever because in the desert i'm 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 on the highway and i have to fucking piss i mean i really have to piss and there is nothing there's no so there's I mean, like a 75 mile stretch in you it's too. just like there's just fucking nothing so i just fucking pulled over to the side of the road and whipped it out and of course that one time here comes a highway patrolman mm-hmm. and he gets out and he's like yeah, you know, you can't stop on the road and, and take a piss. You can't urinate on the side of a highway. And I said, listen, I said, if you got to give me a ticket, I I did. I was very clear. I was like, not mad, not defiant. I said, listen, I totally understand where you're coming from. If you got to give me a ticket for pissing on the side of the road, that's fine. I said, but I was in a, a position (laughs) as a grown human being that I could, that I could either try to hold it unsuccessfully for the next 75 miles. I could just fucking piss myself in my car mm-hmm. or I could pull over and I could take a piss. I said, if you want to give me a ticket for that, I said, if you've never had to take a piss on the side of the road, <laughs> then I applaud you, sir. I applaud you. Yeah. And he just laughed and let me off the hook. He said, yeah, yeah let well, try to don't drink so much. I think his advice was like, try not to drink so much on the road. <laughs> yeah. So it was like anti-hydrate. So you tell Harry, his uncle well, Don pisses yeah. everywhere, and I told him, I said, you know, like peeing in a tree, like you can pee in our backyard,
0: like that's fine, but like in public, you shouldn't pee at the school. You sh- so he explained the differences.
1: Well, you gotta hide, but you, I mean, like go behind it. They're hiding, apparently. Go, yeah. Well, then he was that's doing exactly not. right because I mean, I'm when I stayed at your house a year ago. At one point, I was walk because I was walking around Chicago a lot. Man, I think I was—I don't even know what neighborhood I was in, but I was in a neighborhood, and I'd been walking around for a while, and I really had to piss. So what did I do? I went to an alley, went behind a dumpster, and took a piss. Yep, yep. I, I've been I, there. I mean, you know, I'm—I'm yeah. I'm sorry, it's not—it's not like it's Paris where you, you know everybody just pisses in public, and the whole place smells like a fucking cesspool. It's Short Chicago. The, Orleans, the, the French Quarter. Yeah, yeah that's they, they get well, that gets yeah, that way
0: and, too. And that's—and that's—I mean, we talked about it, and I said, you know, if you're trying to be funny, like just wait. You know, here's a different way to be funny. Like, you know, just coincide and pee. Um, And then he was talking this morning about how his teacher, Maxie, is mean. And I said, why is she mean? He goes, well, we didn't get any treasure chests this week. And I said, well, why not? He said, well, I was good, but the other kids weren't. I'm like, oh, so it's like the whole class has to be good. He said, yeah. I said, okay, well, she's not being mean, honey. She's teaching you collaboration and teamwork, that you guys have to work together as one unit. And I said, when I was in fourth grade, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we were, our class was so bad that they started to bribe us with parties at the end of the week. So, if we were good, we would get a pizza party on a Friday or a taco party. And even when all the other kids were good and I wasn't, they would love the party. They're like, David's the only problem. David doesn't get to go. So, I didn't get to go to any of the parties. And I said, Harry, you just sometimes you, you know, you have to remind your friends if they're being bad or when you're being bad to slow down, think you're, think about your choices and make the best one and he said like you had like you should have done when you peed in the sink yep that's exactly right kid you got it your so, yeah, good dad everything is a choice every breath, every breath is, is a choice every breath is a choice
1: there were 6 things you said do this week
0: My first thing to do this week, it's a read. It's in the Atlantic. (laughs) Dogs need understanding, not dominance. As, quote, gentle parenting has become a popular method of raising kids punishment-free, a parallel shift is happening in the world of dog training by Kelly Connaboy. It's interesting whether you're a parent, even if you're not a parent or a dog owner. There's just something about the sociology of how we're treating the little things around us, the people around us, mm-hmm. the
1: living beings around us. It's interesting. There you go. I, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where I can't decide if being nice to everybody and super kind to everybody is actually, I mean, it's fun, <laughs> it's nice, but it also means that people aren't going to have to, I mean, you know, my my life is defined by the fact that I had to fight back. and and if you don't have to fight back do you just become a big soft mushy plate of goo i don't know the answer my first thing is uh it is a podcast it is a a, and i i i like to listen to her once in a while um it's you must remember this Mm. and it is a movie podcast my karina i can't remember her last name is but uh, she's funny because she's she talks like somebody who listens too much to her own voice. So she over enunciates everything. If you can get past that, this is the episode it's called Indecent Proposal Erotic 90s Part 11. It's all about the history It's all about the history. Well, her whole series of the erotic 90s is really interesting, but I'd totally forgotten about the movie Indecent Proposal, and apparently it made quite a stir, Adrienne Lyons, uh, sort of like in the feminist community kind of thing. And this is a really, I just, I just was like, I really enjoyed it. And I was like, wow, she, she, she did some serious research. She actually has quotes from Adrian Line, And, and I mean, it's a good, it's good. It's worth listening to. So you must remember this indecent proposal, erotic nineties, part 11. Yeah. I'm gonna have to dive into this because I just pulled this up. It's really interesting. She's on part 16, right? Yes. Yes. I got to listen to all of the these. 90s. Like, yeah, I got to. Li- well, she did. Apparently, she did erotic, erotic, uh, erotic eighties too. So I got to go back and listen to this shit. I just, Jesus. yeah, yeah. I'm like way into this shit. It just makes me laugh, and it's, yeah. Wow, the last seduction disclosure, right? Silver
0: and Sharon Stone. See,
1: you know what I'm saying? It's like this is this is this is a deep dive. This is worthy. I know that when I drive to Chicago. Um, I'll probably listen to multiple episodes of this just because it'll be a great, it'll be a great road. Listen. Wow. This is bananas.
0: All right. Yeah, this is, this will be fun. All right. So my next thing is also a listen, also a podcast and also tied to the Atlantic, but this is, um, we've talked about this one before, honestly, with Barry Weiss, the episode is, is Biden too old to be president? Atlantic staff writer, Frank Ford, isn't so sure. So. Yeah, let's talk about how old Biden
1: is or isn't for the presidency. I think that works. My second thing is uh, a read from from the Atlantic. Oh God, um, it's called. It's by Charlie Warzel. It's the tragedy of Google Search, subhead with a landmark antitrust trial underway. A giant of the modern web is buckling under its own weight. And he, he, he does a really nice job of painting a picture of what Google was like when it started. And now it's just become a giant. It's, it's, it's like a, it's, it's like a giant billboard factory of constant promoted shit and, and advertisement. And it's, it's not a search engine anymore. It's, it's, it's just another opportunity to be advertised to. And it's a really good, It doesn't. He doesn't even really weigh on uh, uh, whether or not they should lose the antitrust argument. That's not the point. It's that wow, at this point, who gives a shit? Because Google is terrible, Mm -hmm. and so it's a good. It's a good read. Yeah. My last
0: thing, it's it's from the Atlantic.
1: (laughs) I I don't know. I mean, it's just such a good. It's It's a a good. It's a good good magazine. It's a really good magazine. Yeah, good writers. What
0: Mitt Romney saw in the Senate in, a, in an exclusive excerpt from my forthcoming biography of the Senator Romney, A Reckoning, he reveals what drove him to retire. This is by McKay Copens. Who? Yeah, has it's good. It's really good. In a book, Romney A Reckoning. So, yeah, I mean, <sighs> Romney's an interesting dude because I feel like he was. He's like,
1: he's the last good, reasonable Republican. Well, la- like he the last. A he's the last person, good well-known republican there are some sure. there are some yeah you know there are some reasonable republicans in there but they are not the kind who've run for president who made a big splash romney's sort of like the last one that made a big splash and like you you s- in 2012 when he was running for president like
0: i don't remember if he was i'm sure he was probably like anti-abortion you know he was pro-life leaned that way you know all, all those conservative things and we're like yeah no i'm not gonna vote for this guy because i don't agree with that but we didn't like
1: Hate the motherfucker, or he's well, he, a the, threat to the thing that got him. The life. thing that got him was the recording of him talking about uh, about taxes, you know, and then how oh, right, yeah, you know, the 47, yeah, that kind of thing. So, yeah, no, I like, I've always i had, forgot about that. Yeah, my last thing is not from the Atlantic, but it is a read, it is in the New Yorker, it is by Claire Malone, Hassan Minhaj's Emotional Truths. And it, it 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 basically in his stand up specials, the former Patriot Act host often recounts harrowing experiences he's faced as an Asian American and Muslim American. Does it matter that much of it never happened to him? And basically, it's a breakdown of this is a guy who is using his platform as a stand up to do that Hannah Gadsby thing, where it's. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to make some jokes but then what I'm going to do is I'm going to completely fabricate shit that happened to me and my family as a way to elevate my status as a victim so that I can make a more salient point politically and his excuse for ba- I mean he tells the story in his latest stand up about about how because of his patriot patriot act stuff uh he was sent what he thought was anthrax and it might, and it got on his kid and all this kind of stuff. And he took the kid to the emergency room and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And a guy that was there from Homeland security told him, he said, no, you must've really pissed somebody off. You must've agitated somebody. And the reality is none of it happened. It's a complete lie. It's a total. What's this guy? His name's Hassan Minhaj. Oh. And, uh, and what's interesting is I would argue that this it's, oh, you know, this guy. Yeah. Right. And, and, uh, and it, I wrote a piece for Tuesday, uh, kind of, kind of looking at the idea, you know, cause do you really want to do fact checking for comedians? On the other hand, okay. if the comedian is like a Hannah Gadsby trying to make political points for the reputation, um, maybe a little fact checking is necessary. And when the daily show, became in our generation became and has become, you know, that kind of stuff, our way of receiving news. At some point, comedy isn't, it's not Rodney Dangerfield anymore where yeah. you knew all the shit he said was funny and made up. Now yeah. oh, they're trying to make some, they're trying to make some political points for reputation and status. And so the question, because is, is that just another Smollett thing? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This, this guy,
0: I, there was always something about him that I didn't, oh, that I didn't trust, which feels weird. Cause why do I need to trust? Yeah, exactly. A, He's a comedian, a but like, yeah. I don't, it felt, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to think about this today and read up on this. Cause I didn't know that this was happening with him, well,
1: but yeah, I just, well, the thing is I, I heard it on uh, the gist and then I read the New Yorker article and then there's a New York times article that is sort of breaking down what Claire said in her New Yorker article. And then I went, okay, let me look deeper into this. And I went, okay. And so, you know, like the question is, all right. So is it is it, that, I guess the question is begged. Cause I really thought a lot about the storytelling scene in Chicago. You know, and about, about, okay. So instead of just getting up and telling a truth, you're telling your emotion. Cause his, his thing was his quote was that he was telling his emotional truth. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and more specifically, let me find the, I got to find the quote. This was a, I, I thought this was a, like a really the punchline is worth the fictionalized premise. Except when you look at what he was fictionalizing, there's no punchline. It's not funny. He he's <laughs> he's he's traded a laughter for an ah oh, and mm. oh my god, and that's not the same thing. And so there's something. I mean, I think the at a time when we can't seem to trust anybody right now. I mean, like everybody's lying constantly, and we're constantly trying to fact check. It just seems relevant to me to maybe focus on just. Focusing on the actual provable truth rather than the emotional truth, which is just a synonym for bullshit. Yeah, this is. You know this this have, this kind of
0: thing happened with um what was it a million a million little pieces that yeah like, oh
1: James, James Fry right, James Fry I mentioned him in my like, piece yeah so that was sold out or that was
0: sold as a a memoir know. yeah. Why didn't he just call it fiction? Why did it have to be a memoir? Why can't you just like, yeah, I'm going to tell you this goofy shit, these crazy fucking stories, and you laugh at them, and that's my job as a comedian. My job as a writer is to write you a story. you like it. It doesn't matter whether it's true or not. Why does because it have to be people, a memoir? Why does it have to be true?
1: Well, it, it is, it's, it's about status and reputation. And quite frankly, people are more interested in buying a book that's true than – you know, it reminds me of the Mike Daisy thing where, uh, uh, you know, he you know, he he openly admitted at the time until he got on This American Life that some of the stuff about his Apple trip, his Foxconn, you know, trip was fabricated to kind of make the story more, you know, mm-hmm. cohesive, I guess. And but when what really got him was that when they went when Ira Glass and his folks went to the public theater. At my suggestion, by the way, um, which <laughs> got me in a lot of trouble, um, it said in the public theater, this is a work of nonfiction. Yeah. Which te- which is a tacit agreement that what you're gonna hear is the actual truth. Well, that that kind of sh- I mean, you know, and so if you're presenting your stuff as this really happened, it doesn't matter the format unless you disclose. Yeah. Okay. It just, I made don't it shade it up it, don't say it really happened. Don't tell the story or you say up front, you know, it, it's one of the things I used to do when I was, uh, when I did told stories in Chicago is I'd always say about 75, 75 to 78% of this is the truth. And the rest is, I don't know. And it's not like I was making things up or embellishing things. It's just, I know that my memory is imperfect. And, uh, so, you know, when I say this happened, It may or may not have happened. I'm pretty sure it did, but that doesn't mean that it did. So that was always my disclaimer. Mm -hmm. Well, fucking put the disclaimer up, you know, get up and say, all right, I'm going to give you a, you know, an hour and a half Netflix special, and I'm just going to let you know about 25% of it is completely made up. You don't, yeah. and then, and then you don't have to tell them what it is made up. You just have to say 25% of this is made up, and then people can make up their own minds. Otherwise, you're just fucking lying. You're not telling the emotional truth. You're fucking lying so that people will think you're cool and victimized and raise your status among that community. So,
0: yeah. Do you know,
1: uh,
0: the comedian, uh, Burt Kreischer? I, I do know Burt Kreischer, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know him, he, but I know of him, yeah. Yeah. So he's got a new movie out called The Machine. Yeah. I so I'm sh- just going to read this from the... You. Oh, go ahead. No, but I, I mentioned Burt Kreischer in the piece as well. Yeah. Yeah. So he's... So I'm just going to read from the uh, the Wikipedia entry of uh, explaining what this is. Uh, it's a 2020... The Machine is a 2023 American action comedy film inspired by the 2016 stand-up routine of the same name created by Bert Kreischer. Um. The film stars Kreischer as a fictionalized version of himself, with Mark Hamill, Jimmy Tatro, and a couple other people. Following its viral success, um, let's see, uh, Legendary Entertainment acquired the rights of Kreischer's true story stand-up routine into a feature film. Um, yeah, so he's got this stand-up routine that went the, like viral on YouTube. It's about infiltrating the Russian mob. Yeah, about infiltrate, like accidentally infiltrating the Russian mm-hmm. mob. And it's this fucking crazy story now, is it true? he says it is we're believing it is. um are there some embellishments there have to be and i haven't I haven't watched the stand up oh before, so I he know did he did, he,
1: he did an interview on uh on uh, Rob Lowe's, uh literally podcast yeah. and and he even admitted that there are certain things about the story that over time. He changed so that it ended better, it's it landed better, that kind of stuff. But then, yeah. you know, most of it's most of it's true. But he when asked, when put to the test, is this a totally true story? He he was very open about, oh yeah, well, that guy never really said that, but that's mm-hmm. a better ending, that's a better ending to that moment. So yeah. he he, you know, I mean, he's a stand-up. He's he's not pitching this as hey, this in fact, I think. When he said, when he tells it, because he still tells the story as a part of his stand-up, he even says most of this really happened.
0: Yeah. Well, it's the, um, it's the happening truth and the story truth. Yeah. You know, that's the Tim O'Brien's way of going about it. When Tim O'Brien in the book, the things they carry, he talks about, this is, this is the story truth, or this is the happening truth. I killed a man in Vietnam. He was thin and dainty. happening truth that that's the happening truth the story truth is i killed a man in vietnam there was a star-shaped hole in his eye like you get into the details of Mm -hmm. things versus like yeah you have to if you're telling stories you you, uh,
1: adjust and adapt but it doesn't but it's not about the emotional truth it's about it's about it's an artistic choice um so here we have have an telling Minhaj telling stories that about his marginalized life and how he's been attacked for being an Asian Muslim is not, they're made up stories. Yeah. The same as Jesse, Jesse Smollett saying, yeah. I was attacked by fucking racist MAGA guys. You made that shit up and you made it up so that you would, your status would raise among a very specific guilty bunch of white women. That's why yeah. you told the story. <sighs> yeah well i'm gonna read that new yorker piece for sure i, I and yeah. read the new york times as well rock and roll that's the show i think we finally it, nobody heard the Got many it. Uh, epithets uh me uh, trying to record this turns out it was the airpods um because everything yeah. else now worked all right lesson learned there you go you have a great week sir do the same my friend You can listen to the Literate Ape cast on literateape.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you go to get that delicious podcast experience. If you enjoy the dulcet sounds of two white guys babbling about whatever comes into their stunted brains, leave us a review anywhere that, you know, re- reviews are left. And share it with someone whom which you have a dubious relationship. For information about Literate Ape,
0: Go to literateape.com, of course, and check out the rest of our podcasts and our years of scribbling. Music on the Apecast is courtesy of Mike Phanopel and Local Motive. You can find them all over Chicago and online at localmotiveband.com.
1: of to...